0: If I press the unmute button, but there we go. Uh, This is That Championship Show. This is going to be a monthly show hosted by a different championship podcast each month, uh, purely to have a debate around the championship, uh, general topics around the championship uh, between the championship shows, uh, which hopefully will be taking part each and every episode. Uh, Tonight's episode, it's uh, being hosted by us, uh, that Millwall podcast and uh, my glamorous assistant for tonight is uh, is Dan. How you doing, Dan?
1: Good evening, mate. I'm very well, and I'm looking forward to doing this something a bit different. But hopefully, it can catch on.
0: Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, I can see a couple of the guys in. We have um, we have to hull and back. We have uh, the Swansea, um, Swan's Cast podcast, which is obviously Swansea town. We've got every Step along the way, which is the Stoke Pod, uh, and I think we'll be getting some more if we're going along. Um, the idea is we're going to keep it. It's going to be strange because I reckon throughout this we will keep referring to our own Pod Show rather than that Championship Show, um, Dan. And I think that it will be quite unusual not to be uh, not to be moaning about Millwall etc. But hey ho, we'll um, we'll give it a go. Um, is there anything that you want to start us off with, Dan? Or or um, are we just going to look at the, uh, the questions, what we sort of agreed with earlier? Or is there anything you want to go first with?
1: I think let's go with the questions that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, no worries. So
0: then, um, to the guys what are on here already, one of the questions what we've got, or one of the questions what we've come across is, um, is there an incentive now to get promoted? Is, is the incentive to get promoted less enticing now, staying in the Prem? Uh, staying in the prem has come more of a mission impossible for most normal championship sides. Especially if you look at this season, uh, it looks as if the teams what have gone up uh, are pretty much going to be the ones what are, are coming down. Obviously, take Everton out. Of that we're we will speak about the Everton saga a bit later on. But yeah, I mean, whichever one of you guys want to come in first, um, that's completely up to you. So
2: yeah, and you want to come in first? Yeah, yeah, might as well. I mean, I think it's 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 one of those. Where, obviously, as a fan, you're wanting your team to be the Premier League guy. That, that, that's the ultimate aim. You want to be at the highest point you possibly can as a club. But I think if you're looking at this season as an example, then, yeah, it does look quite grim. But if you look in recent years, there has been teams that go up there and do well. Look at Fulham, look at uh, Brighton, look at Brentford. You can do it. You've just got to be run right. You've got to have um, you know, a board that's, that's savvy with their money, that spends money well. But um, when you sell your, your best assets, your best players that you've got a contingency plan and a replacement lined up um otherwise like Sheffield United and Burnley you know you, you you if you don't invest properly and you don't in, in improve in, in in the areas you have to in order to compete then you will just get absolutely battered every week and 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 as, as a fan it's it's painful watching that it is um watching your team lose every week and obviously the championship's probably for me the most exciting league in 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 the world in terms of you know clubs can it's such an even bat from number one to number 24 compared to other leagues. that are, you usually have like, you know, a, a specific one, two clubs, maybe. Premier League's got like six. But it's, it's, it's all about money. It's all about how you spend money, how smart you are. Um, and, and then obviously down to your manager and, and, and your owners having that, you know, connection that um, sort of mutually benefit the club in, in the long run.
0: No, I totally get it. I
2: mean, you've
0: been up there. I mean, is it is it is it so hard up there that when you come down, and then you have to obviously make sacrifices?
2: Um, I don't know because like the 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 first time we went up uh, back in two thousand seven eight season, so our our first stint in the Premier League ever. Um, the first half of the season we were brilliant, and it's because we had a team that that earned the right to be there that played their arts out, you know, for 90 minutes every single game, and um, it um only around December time when there were some fallings out in the camp with some, you know, characters like Marlon King and that sort of causing a bit of trouble and stuff, that things started to go wrong, so it just shows that when when you go up there and you're willing to work hard, I mean, if you look at Luton this season, as an example as well, they, they've probably not got the best players to be staying in that league, but they're going to, you know, work their absolute socks off for 90 minutes, and... um some sometimes, especially at home, um that can get you enough results to stay in the league. You just gotta focus on your home games. Um but when we've been up there we've not had great experiences. We've not spent more than two seasons up there. I think our best time was under obviously Steve Bruce um you know a few years ago and we had a probably the arguably the best side that we've ever had. You, you know, like Sir Tom Wilderston, Jake Livermore, Abel Hernandez, um you know, um we, Curtis Davis, we had we had a Andy Robertson, Harry Maguire. We had such a good team and um, it should never have gone down. Um, but like you say, we had that sort of ownership trouble that it just broke down between him and them and Steve Bruce and, and then we never stayed up and we never really recovered. And that's the thing. But you look at clubs like Brentford and Bright, Brighton, they've, they've got that symbiotic relationship between manager and owner and, and the club knows exactly where they're going, what vision they need to have. And they they, they plan their transfer strategy well and it it works. But, like, for, for our example, it didn't. But we enjoyed the time up there. And, I mean, you just sort of, you have to go along with it, don't you?
0: Yeah, you do. Dan, do you want to come in?
2: Yeah, well, I mean,
1: the Premier League is probably the most daunting it's ever been. And I think, you know, as a Millwall fan, I kind of enviously look at that, obviously never being there. Um, and you want to dream of being there one day. And, you know, I think while we'd have some great days out, I think the football, you know, watching what you would do, especially from a Millwall perspective on the road, you know, you have all these great days out, but just dread the football. I think, you know, the best chance teams have of staying up is actually what Luton have done this season. because so obviously they have a, a clear recruitment plan and they haven't um, gone too far away from what they've done in the last few years, which has made them so successful, mm-hmm. kept that core together and they're going to use that home form uh, playing in that stadium, which is going to be a massive strength. So you know, I think it's daunting, but you know, if you're if you're a well-run, sensible club, um, then I think there is a you know you have a chance. It's not all about money as much as it seems like it is.
3: Yeah, I think that that's that's definitely the case. I think that. Our goals last time in the Championship ended because we're trying to be a bit too big for our boots or the board that was was trying to be a bit too big for its boots. And the Championship's the highest level. Or the second tier is the highest level we've ever been. So although you're talking about the, the Premier League, we can relate to that um, in, in, in terms of what's the point of, of getting to a, a stage you can't sustain. We're in a place now where the, the new chairman has put out a, a five-year plan where he's hoping to, to become a top six Side, a sustainable top six side in the next five years uh, with aims at the Premier League. But that's the only way you can do it. Um, and there's no benefit, there's no real glory in being the whipping boys for a season or two. Um, and then sowing your own financial ruin. You know, you want to go and watch your club be competitive in games, um, win obviously more than they lose, but enjoy the football. Um, that's, you know, it doesn't really matter what tier you're in. If, you're, if your club's sustainable and you're enjoying the football, that's what. That's why you got. That's why the British, the English league, is has got fans you know, up up and down the country go and follow their their teams and, and great attendances because um, you know that that's the 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 key to 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 English football that anyone can beat anyone in most leagues and it you know even the Premier League has been stated earlier has a, has a an, an edge of competition to it that you know most of the major top European leagues don't so. Um, it, yeah, there's a bit of stratification happening between sort of the top half of the Premier League and the teams that go up and down. And you know, I, I missed the the start. Sorry, guys, but I'm sure you were talking about the fact that the the teams that have gone up this year are likely to be the ones that come down, or are certainly in in the mix for it. Um, but then there's plenty of teams recently who, on the basis of being well run, have made a fist of it and stayed up. Some of them are yo-yo, sort of think of like Fulham and stuff. But Bournemouth, there. Uh, Appear to be, you know, well on the way, and a lot of that, yes, there's money involved in that, but a lot of that's down to strategy, planning, thinking outside the box, um, using sort of certain different business techniques and a methodology. It's not all just about money ball, um, but you know, there, there's a lot of that, that kind of uh, non-traditional thinking that will contribute. So, um, you know, the fact that our chairman is aiming for that, I don't think is pie in the sky. The guy's, you know, got a lot of experience, and he's already. Uh, demonstrate, you know, I think, I think the Times recently sort of said the club's the most Plymouth Argyle, is sort of the most financially the best run club in the in the football league. So, you know, he's not just sort of promising the moon and and gonna drag the club. He he knows what he's talking about. But that's gonna be the only way any club of whatever size, you know, Argyle are a small fish in a in a much bigger pond this year. Um, but any club, um, the financial differences between even a you know, sort of like an established top six side or a top half side. Think about teams like Coventry. You know, in the playoffs last season, but the budgetary and the the finances between a team like Cov and um, you know, sort of Bournemouth this season are just just ridiculous. So, you know, any any team that needs to um or its aim is to to get up to the Premier League, there has to be some kind of sustainable plan in place. Whether it involves sort of yo-yoing a bit, like we're talking about Luton or or whether it's build up in the championship and then make a, a big push for it off the back of that. But there's no point and there's no sustainability in just getting up by any means necessary because
4: you, know, you face the costs of that. Yeah, I think I can talk about from kind of recent experience when Swansea went up in 2011, we were very heavily ridden off to come straight back down. But at that time, Swansea was very well run, very local, um, Businessman sort of taking the ownership and the chairman role run very well to get to a position where um, well I guess we were able to climb up the leagues because we came up from league two after nearly falling out to the football league we managed to stay in the Premier League and kind of I would say became stable for a couple of years we ended up spending seven years there altogether. but when I you know you get the luxuries of the money that comes with that but we had a change of ownership change of structure and ultimately that sort of plan that that was just spoken about wasn't quite there. Money was spent in desperation to try and stay in the league in the last couple of seasons, and yeah, that that cost us coming back down. We were lucky that I think the the previous ownership spent a lot of the money investing in infrastructure, which maybe saved further damage uh, going forward. But we're, we're benefiting from that now when we can pull from our academy and stuff like that. So I think there's definitely positives about going up if you can use the money in the right areas to kind of develop the club and the infrastructure and the facilities going forward for the future but i think back when we went up in 2011 it's a lot harder now to go up and do what we did back then and stay there for that long uh, amount of time do you... especially since covid i think it's made a big difference
0: no definitely i mean we got a, a message coming from um a stoke fan who said they'd love to see us go up and with our owners we would definitely stay, spend to stay up but the money doesn't keep you up anymore the bottom three before everyone's point deduction were the three that were up um that went up three of the top four in the championship for teams that come down the gaps just getting way too big which which is he, totally agree um stoke show go on fella
5: yeah obviously we had sort of 10 years in the, in the premier league and i think even in 2008 when we went up um, yeah, we we went up and everyone was writing us off. Paddy Power even paid out on us to be relegated after one game. <laughs> um and it just showed that we didn't have the best, you with know, we the best squad there. We didn't have a squad that was full of Premier League players or anything like that. But they stuck together as a as a group, as a unit, and that's um credit to sort of Tony Pulis and the side that he had then. And that's actually what Kept us up. It wasn't ability or anything like that. It was sort of fight. And you do wonder now in 2023 whether a team like that, who could be relying mainly on that sort of um, all for one, one for all kind of thing and sticking together, whether that could have the same impact no, years down the line.
0: No, I get that. I get it. I mean, those of you who are just joining now and obviously don't know what we're discussing, the, the question. The first question um for the panel was is the incentive to get promoted less enticing now um, that staying in the premiership has become a mission impossible for most normal championship sides so um those of you who are uh, coming in if you do want to get a message on uh just reply to the um to the space and we can see it there um and you can just get get involved with your messages from that one um so yeah no i i think for us we've always been, especially in the last so many years, we've been quite a stable club and never really got um, close enough to really want to be there. A couple of times we come close, but we always seem to fail at the last minute. But for some of you clubs in here, what have been up and then come down, it's interesting to hear your views that it, you know, it is paved with gold up there, but the pain sometimes what you have to deal with when you come back down, um, is sometimes not worth it. Go on, Albion.
6: Yeah, I was I was just gonna say, I mean, look, obviously we're one of those yo-yo clubs that, that you that you're talking about. And I mean it suppose it depends who whose point of view you're looking at looking at it from. If you're looking at it from the from the club's point of view then I mean it's it's kind of essential to get to another level. Um because you if you come back down and use the money wisely which obviously we haven't done and we've got ourselves in all sorts of a mess and i i think i imagine Watford and Norwich would probably say that they, you know, they've not exactly had a had a prime time coming down and using the money well this time. But as Burnley have shown, as as Leicester have shown, I mean, Leeds and Southampton look like they're going to be pretty strong this this season. You come down with with that Premier League money, and you, if, if to be honest, you're doing something horrendously wrong if you're not battling away at the, the at, at the top end of the of the championship and. As long as you don't go, as long as you, you you don't go sort of like too mad in the Premier League, shooting for the stars. I, and I look at the way Luton have done it this summer, and I think there's a lot of common sense about the way that you know they've not overspent, they've not gone crazy, they've not brought people in on long contracts that 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 they can't afford. They've almost kind of gone. If we go down, we're going to be in a better position than when we came up, and if we don't go down, that's an absolute bonus. But if we do go down, we we, we probably go down as one of the favourites to come back up, which let's be fair, even when they weren't up, they, sorry, went up, they weren't one of the favourites to do so. So they come back down stronger. I think if you go crazy and throw a load of money at it, like for example, if Forrest had gone down, which they came close to doing that first season, I think they would have been in such a mess because they they went mad at it to stay up. And I think that's the wrong way to go about it but i mean it just from a club point of view it's so so beneficial to go up from a fan point of view and just to sort of say on on this it's so boring it's 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 so miserable generally speaking when it's a novelty the first time you go up, you almost don't mind getting stuffed because, uh, because you get to go to all these new grounds, you get to see these great players. You know, we'd ha- I think we'd had eighteen years outside the the top flight when we first went up under Gary Megson, and it was brilliant. But after a f- after a few yo-yos of going up and getting tonked, it's just it just gets so boring. And from a fan point of view, the championship is so much more fun. But from a club point of view, you you kind of have to have to have to be there because sooner or later you're either going to overspend in the championship to get there, or um, it's or you're just going to end up having a load of mediocrity in in the championship, and then your fans are going to get upset, and well, that will probably lead to lead to the, <laughs> lead to the next one of overspending. So I, I think from a club financial point of view, getting up there is massive, but I think from a I think from a fan point of view, it's it, and unless it's a novelty unless you've not really been there before it's rubbish
0: I mean we've got another comment another message to come in what we would do is we're for the first part of this show we're going to just speak um with questions to the panel and then um and then sort of like the second part of the show then we'll open the floor up to to you guys who are listening and, and you're more than welcome to come in for the for the first part though if you want to get a message it's just um if you reply to the original, Um, space, you can reply on there and we can see your messages. Um, Chris Brown has done that and he said, if you have a level headed ownership, the Prem means Richard some more exciting games for the fans and if you don't work out with the parachute payments, you should be able to stabilise and go again and I think that's probably a straightforward answer. As long as you haven't got ownership but wants to take the money out of the club as such and minimal investment back in, then you know, realistically, if you do come back down, you should be strong enough to, to sort of realistically come back up. But the problem is, is that I think the the divide and, and maybe, Dan, you've got a few points on this
6: because obviously... Can I just quickly say, mate, it'd be lovely if people said when when they put in comments like that who they support because that... It just, oh, it's Millwall. It, it, oh, was this brilliant? Millwall. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that would just be lovely perspective on on, on where they're coming from.
0: No, that, that, that Chris is Bill Wall.
6: But yeah, no, look, I mean, come in, let us know who
0: you, who you support and stuff, especially if you give a message, that's a good point. Um, but I just think it's, it, if you look at some clubs where they come down, like like with Albion, where they've not really spent wisely and they've got themselves in a bit of trouble, um, and, and you're sort of, and, and Wednesday, um, not, not Wednesday, United, where then, you know, they're upsetting the fan base, then it's just not a nice journey, is it, Dan?
1: No, and that's the one thing I've always been grateful for at Millwall. We've always had steady and sensible ownership, um, even despite what happened in the summer. We've all we've always had that sensibleness. And also there's the argument as well. I think I mean I think this was a bit of an extreme case, but you know, if you look at Sunderland when they came down a few years ago and everyone was like, Oh, they just romped the league, it's fine. Before you knew it, the money had dried up from when they'd been in the Premier League. Obviously, I know, I think they had a couple of owner difficulties that season, but the morale at the club was so low. They just got dragged further and further down and they ended up going all the way down to League One and spent a few years there before they are even, you know, they're starting to make their way back now, which is obviously not a bad thing because Sunderland are a big club. And, you know, if you're in the Championship, you want to be able to play a, a team like Sunderland. Um, but yeah there's obviously the argument as well that it's like gets demoralizing for the players, and after a while that mood around the club just gets harder and harder to lift as well.
0: No, I totally get it. I totally get it. Um, okay, so the second question, um what we we'll go off with with tonight, we can always come back to this, which I think we will a bit later on because I'm keen to speak about you know the current things what have happened this week um with the with the Premiership with Everton, but I think we'll we're, we're come to that on the second part when we can open the floor as well. Um, currently, who, and I'll start with you, Dan, um, and then obviously we can go through the other panel members. Uh, who do you think currently is
1: the best keeper
0: in the Championship?
1: I honestly think I'm going to have to go for, I know this is probably going to sound a bit silly, but I think I'm probably going to have to go for the Rotherham goalkeeper, Vixie Hansen, because I think last season they would have gone down if it wasn't for him. And this season, he's kind of kept them, you know, even having half a chance already at this point because, you know, Rotherham really aren't a very good team. But that keeper, you know, I remember him coming down to Millwall. The, both times we played them, we've won 3-0. And yet he's been far and away their best player, which is very rare you say that about, um, about a team when you've just lost 3-0 to them.
0: No, I totally get. It. I mean, any of you guys on the panel
6: want oh, to? I mean, I mean, it's just—it's a good point for me to jump in there actually, because we we, we actually did um, twenty-three from twenty-three as a as a podcast earlier in the week, where um, myself and Pete went through all of the championship clubs and basically said which one player would we like to take in uh, to have in the Albion squad, and Victor Johansson was actually the only goalkeeper we picked. Um, and we both picked him because uh, because we we both rate him. That being said, in, in answer to your original question, I'm going to have to say our keeper, aren't I? Because he's got the most clean sheets in the Championship. Alex Palmer, um, seven clean sheets. He's been superb since he came in. He turned down Luton in the summer because he's a boyhood baggy, and he said he's he's wasted his, his entire life to to be the number one at Albion, and he wasn't going to leave it just for the Premier League. So. Um, uh, I mean, I completely agree with Dan's shout on on Victor Johansson that he's up there, but I don't think he's better than our goalkeeper, and uh, and the and the stats back it up because, like I say, most clean sheets in the league. <laughs> yeah.
3: If you're talking about stats, and um, I think Klacki at um, at Ipswich has has outperformed his xG against better than anybody, uh, and prevented more goals um, over xG as well um, than anybody. So if that's uh, something you want to Run by then he's got a shout. Obviously, as an Argyle fan, I'm going to say Michael Cooper, um, but he's only been back for for a few games. Got a little bit of ring rust, but he's already pulled off some some world class saves. If you look at the the Middlesbrough highlights, you know he's not been back long, and uh, I think uh, Michael Carrick was absolutely devastated that um, they only got a point, um, and he's probably got a point not just on the base of the great goalkeeping, but he saved the penalty in that game. Although um, you know it got tapped in afterwards, um, some you know some really great great saves shot stopping brilliant once his uh distributions back then he'll be in with a shout but obviously he's got to do it at this level and establish himself but you know bias speaking he's he's got everything to be the best keeper in the league
2: holland back or swansea I, I i'm i'm going to second that with ipswich's keeper i think he was great from what i've seen um i'd I'd not known that much about him um until we went on one of the ipswich channel shows earlier and um they, they they mentioned that he was sort of like their backup keeper, but he was making the claim to to be their number one, and he was he was he's been brilliant from from what I've seen, and I think also like the they're, they're sort of playing out from the back system that they do is perfect for it. Um, like sometimes a goalkeeper has to fit a system. Like sops great for us. I'm not going to claim he's the best in the league, but when we're playing out from the back, he suits it, and he and that's the same at Ipswich. Um, but, yeah, Johansson's been very good as well. I mean, sometimes it's it's stats stats can be stats. I mean, Leicester will probably have a lot of clean sheets, but realistically, how many shots against do they have? Do you know what I mean? It's with Rotherham that, you know, they're going to get absolutely peppered uh, <laughs> with the greatest respect with a lot of shots against in most games. So, he's going to be a goalkeeper that's tested more often than not. So... Okay, yeah, he's not going to have anywhere near the most clean sheets in the league. But his save statistics and the amount of shots, you know, that he could stop realistically is going to be a lot higher than a team that's up near the top. Um so I think sometimes stats when it comes to goalkeepers can be a bit misleading with that. But no, I would I would say it's which is keeper.
6: Well, another, another oh, which... one on uh, just stats wise on Johansson he's actually got the the the, um, the most in terms of yardage the, the 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 most completed pass yardage in in the in the league so um it's not it's not just his his shot stopping that's very good johansson but actually he plays balls out from the back, and he plays long passes out, which are, which are accurate as well. Which I think in the, in the modern day, it's not just enough to be a good shot stopper. You know, we've seen uh, seen Arsenal replace their goalkeeper, who's uh, for me is one of the best shot stoppers in in the Premier League, but just because he's not as good with his feet as the bloke they've just bought, and I think that's that's an important um, characteristic as well.
4: Um, I probably got to be biased as well, but I think especially because he's come in as a youth youth player from Brighton. Rushworth is having a very good season for us. Had a bit of a slow start. I know some of the stats you mentioned there, he's second behind the Ipswich keeper at the moment with the prevented XG. But I can only talk from the perspective of maybe Swansea's position in the league. In the last couple of games, we have probably should have conceded a lot more goals. And if you look at his specific stats for those games, he's making a lot of saves. And maybe papering over some cracks in our defence, which isn't what you want to be saying really as a fan, but I think he's one to watch for the rest of the season as he settles in more and more and gets more experience at this level. Definitely a keeper to keep an eye on in the next few years.
0: I would say, um, I would say signing of the season so far has to go to Norwich mate for signing George Long from us um, because he was, Thank you very much. It was absolute shit for us. And we warned them before he went and he's, um, yeah, he's, he's going to get them to League One, hopefully. He, he, so, he um, wasn't very good for us yeah. when he was here either. He
2: was one of the worst keepers I'd seen that we had in a long time. And the fact that he keeps moving to other championship clubs just absolutely astounds me. He's just, he's, he's not good. My, my only suggestion for that would be
0: um, if there are any other football players out there who aren't necessarily the best uh, around, I would speak to George Long and find out who his agent is. And uh, and get yourself signed up because I think his agent um, has to be the bollocks to be fair because he just seems to um, to to get him to clubs where he is poor. I mean, Dan, you'll you'll probably tell us more, but he is absolutely um, for us last season probably cost us promotion.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, there's kind of some, you know, rumours. And, you know, Rowett said for us last season that Long was in the team because he was better of his feet. But the only evidence we saw was the fact he could kick the ball from our penalty box to the opposition penalty box. I mean, you you put a shot in from kind of anything outside the box and you was always going to be in some kind of trouble. Uh, well, we was anyway. You, you If it was anyone else having the shot, you'd probably have a good chance of scoring. So, it's, you know, it's, it's lot to get rid of him. Yeah,
0: it's quite worrying though, isn't it, when your manager says that he's your best keeper because he's good with his feet, when ideally
1: what you want is a keeper who's good with their hands rather than their Yeah, I mean, ideally you do want that, but the way the modern game's going, and I think we're going to see it now at Millwall more with Joe Edwards, and eventually when Sarkic comes back into the team is that the way teams want to play these days, they're going to want to have, um, you know, their keeper's almost going to play as like particularly if we're going to continue playing a four, a keeper's probably going to end up playing as almost a third centre-half when you're in possession at times to try and squeeze the play fair at the pitch and try and help keep the ball. Um, I'm just going to quickly go back to the point that um, the Swanscast podcast said. I think Rushworth is one of the best young goalkeepers in this country, to be honest. I really wanted us to sign him in the summer. I think he's a phenomenal goalkeeper. Um, He was top of the list for me of targets that I wanted us to sign in terms of a new goalkeeper. Um, and also, and I know he's not in the league anymore, but I would have to also put probably. I mean, I said Johansson number one, and I probably have um, Rushworth and probably Travers. I can see. I think that's that might be Stoke with his with his hand up there. I would have put Travers in that top three as well um, because he's he was very good for Stoke until he's had to go. And obviously, I know he was close to coming to us, and I can't imagine there'd be too many Millwall fans happy if what had happened to us has happened um, to Stoke. Go on, Stoke.
5: Yeah, especially when your backup's Jack Bonham. That doesn't help matters either. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that that whole goalkeeping situation, that rule surely needs to change as well. So, like, Bournemouth have got three keepers. They were down to one and an under-19 keeper because one was ill and one had an injury for two weeks. So they've recalled Travers from his loan at Stoke. Then ten days later, both the illness and the injury have cleared up. So now he's like third, fourth choice goalkeeper at Bournemouth. So surely, in that instance, why why do the rules not state that one if he's been recalled due to an emergency, when the emergency is over, surely he should then go back to the original loan spell that he's been contracted to for that time?
0: Good question, and it probably would if they were a premiership team, but you know, because it's a championship team, yeah,
5: unfortunately, I just think, they
0: don't I just
5: care. Think, yeah, I just think like the rules if you've been recalled due to an emergency, if that emergency no longer exists, surely there's no. Like... I do
1: think you'll be getting him back in, in January though, Stoke, yeah. because um, obviously, due to like the FIFA registration and regulation and stuff like that, because he's been in a matchday squad now for Bournemouth. That counts as one of the two teams I think you're allowed to play for over the course of a season. So it means the I think that means the only other team you might be able to go back and play for, if the, if I am correct on this rule, for the rest of the season is Stoke.
5: Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the thing as well. I mean, we we were actually close to signing him permanently in the summer, and then he um, the bought the goalkeeper Bournemouth signed from Inter. Is it Radu?
1: Radu, yeah. And
5: because he, yeah, because his deal ended up only being a loan deal. Bournemouth only sanctioned a loan deal for us. So we're hoping that come January we can sort of you know, get that permanent deal. He said he wants to come back as well. He said that he was enjoying it here and he didn't really want to go back unless he's going to play for Bournemouth. So obviously he's not. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was the first competent goalkeeper we've had um, since probably our first season down when we had uh, the prime but- Jack Butlanding goal uh, before he he went south in his Stoke career. So, yeah, it's nice. it was nice to have someone competent in the sticks for, for 12, 12 games or so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, i want to a second as well, Victor, you answered it, rather than, although they're in the bottom three and obviously conceding. I mean, we, we put 10 past him in two games at the start of the season, but he is a quality goalkeeper, like I say. He, if we just, when we were looking for a keeper in the summer, if I sort of put his name forward as one, I'd have liked to see us, us get him in. Um but yeah I think one name been mentioned obviously he's, he's getting a bit old now but I think he's still um producing things for QPR even though he's not got the greatest sort of defense and team around him obviously Asmir Begovic. just you still see he's uh, pulling off some some decent saves and still uh, you know doing all right for himself at hes 36 now
0: he's getting on he must be one of the older ones I mean Bart for us is probably one of the oldest ones as well
1: then? Yeah, I think Bart's, Bart and, Bart and Begovic, I reckon they're both 36 off the top of my head. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking in QPR's position, I think that's probably one of the best signings they probably could have got in the summer. And again, you know, you, I think you might be able to say this for a lot of the teams that are just down the bottom. For me, Johansson's the standout one. Um, and if I was looking to sign a goalkeeper from one of the bottom three or four teams, I think Johansson would be my pick, which is why I went for him. But another one where if QPR didn't have um, Begovic, they might be down and out already. No, totally. Yeah, you think you're possibly right there. Especially I mean, when Dan, their backup keepers Jordan Archer as well. <laughs> Another Millwall reject. Uh, um,
0: yeah, I, Dan, do you want to ask the third question, fella? Uh,
1: if I can find it, one second. <laughs> oh, not, I've got it. Go I on, you guys, got it I've
0: got it. I've got it. Okay, um. Moving on to the third question, which club is currently in the most false position in the table, i.e., nowhere near where they realistically be in May? Uh, whoever wants to come in first,
4: anyone?
1: I'll go with I think Coventry, um, just because I think they had a bit of a quite a big squad change over the summer. Um, so I think that they're gonna end up, you know, once everything eventually settles down, they'll they'll click into gear. I think their squad's a lot better than it is, and I, you know, I've watched them a couple of times, and they haven't been like the fourth worst team in the division.
2: I'm I'm gonna throw one out there and say Preston. I, I think I I don't know why, like, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm going off the teams that I've I've obviously seen us play this season, and when we played Preston at home. They were you know, when you get, if there's a top six side, it's usually, you know, you've got attacking intent. There's a clear identity, a style of play. Um, I, I didn't get anything from that, from Preston. Um, I just felt that they they came and they gave us so much respect, like they were a side in the bottom three. Um, they came, sat back, um, didn't really look like they wanted to win the game and just sort of defended for 90 minutes. and um they they were they were physical. They were a lot of tactical fouls. I don't I don't know what the style of player was in that. But for me, I I just don't think Preston are, are a top six side. For me, I I think they're 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 you know mid table ish. So I'd I'd probably just say Preston. Albion.
6: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm literally just going to agree with both of them. I think uh, I think uh, Ant is absolutely on the money when it comes to Preston. Like, I, uh, I we we went there and won four nil. We were we were their first defeat, and I couldn't I couldn't believe. I mean, we were brilliant on the day, but I, I couldn't believe how underwhelmed I was. I mean, look, you know, you know, from the name of the podcast that we have a look at the um, uh, uh, look at the numbers and everything, and they were just overperforming all their numbers so much it was like it was basically like every shot they had was going in the back of the net and uh, and they were pretty much keeping everything out at the other end and there was no way that that was ever ever going to continue they're a decent side they're a fairly they're they're, they're a fairly solid side but i'm just you know, are totally underwhelmed by them. I just, I just don't think there's anything particularly special there, and I can't, I can't for the life of me see that they, uh, that they will be anywhere near the top six come, come the end of the season, especially as there's some really good sides in this division. And Coventry, the kind of, um, again, I just to echo what was said before, we went there we 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 won we we won the game 2-0 but i was still really impressed with them i think the problem that coventry have got is that everything everything last season was so built around jokeresh and they're just they they're just learning how to score goals without him they're actually doing so much right like they're not they're, they're not horrendous at the at the back the keeper dropped a howler against us but that from what i hear that's a pretty rare occurrence uh, for wilson and 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 their their strikers are just missing chances that they shouldn't. Haji Wright, in particular, I mean, he's I think he's underscored his xG by the most of any Championship player. Sooner or later, if he keeps getting those chances, they're going to start going in the onion bag. And. And when they do, Coventry are going to win a lot of football matches because he's a good player. He's just he's just one of them strikers that needs one to go in for him uh, at the moment. I still rate Ellis Sims, and I think he's he's a decent player. I just think it, it's a bit of a post-Jokerish hangover. And I could, when when you look at what awesome Middlesbrough did last season, coming from right towards the bottom and pushing on towards the playoffs. And you can sort of say Cov did that last season, but it was a bit of a false position because of um because of the Commonwealth games and them having to have a such a truncated start to the season. I think they will be that team that comes at a run I really do because there's just there's way too much quality in that squad and you've got calamo O'Hare getting back to fitness now who has to be one of the best players in 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 the championship when he's when he's fully fit as well there's a lot to like
0: no let's see um Aaron.
3: And then I'll come to you, Stuart. Yeah, I, um, there were two names that jumped straight into my head, but I didn't want to go first because it sounds a bit like sour grapes or a bit of um, bit of a sort of old needle. Um, but I agree with Coventry and, and Preston. The two are they must regress to a mean. They they must sort of meet again uh, at the at the sort of like the middle of the table. You'd have thought at some point they maybe even pass each other on the way. Um, because they, you know, one is underperforming, one is overperforming their numbers. And the other one, which, um, along with Preston, was one of the first two that jumped into my head, uh, which might be a bit controversial, is Ipswich. Um, they sort of win a lot of games by the odd goal, and they're incredibly pre- um, uh, impressive. Um, but they've a lot of their goals are sort of absolute bangers. Um, and, you know, when we played them there, um, I mean, I had absolute head loss that day. A lot of our fans did, um, but we were one, we were one nil up. Um, one of the clearest sort of red cards you'll ever see on the edge of the box. Um, and, you know, we'd have been 1 nil up against 10 men for most of the game. It wasn't given. Um, and we lost the game 3 2. Um, but their man of the match was Slacky. And then, sort of like shortly after, we went to Ellen Road and played Leeds. And Leeds seemed to play quite within themselves and, and it looked like a completely different. Um, completely different sort of team altogether. Um, So I'm not trying to suggest that Ipswich, you know, don't deserve to be where they are uh, because they've played some really good football. But I think if some of the other teams around them um, and even some of the teams lower down that can sort of click, you know, know, even like teams like Blackburn, if Blackburn can sort the defence out, you know, they could be a scary team. There's a lot of teams that actually have, I I think Ipswich performing very much at the limits of their potential. And they're doing that very well. They're obviously like the second best team, joint best team, if you want, in the, in the league. Um, so I think they'll be up and around uh, the playoffs for sure. But I think they'd have to keep those standards up all season to stay uh, in the automatics. And I don't know. I think they might get chased down by, by one or two. Um, but yeah, I don't want to come across as that, that being driven by bitterness. But um, No, no, I'll
0: you, I'll got you. Stuart, two
3: seconds. Just do a
0: couple of these messages, what we've got in. We've got Jordan James who's messaging and said, uh, yeah, Coventry... Um, is a team he thinks is in the force. We've got Stokey, Tom, who's um, said exactly what happened uh, when they come to Stoke. Two chances, two goals, sat back um, for the whole of the rest of the game. Um, And then Dan's come in, which I was going to, not our Dan, another Dan who's listening, said, uh, as if we're losing to North Macedonia as well. Currently, England are 1-0 down against North Macedonia, but realistically, did we expect anything different? Uh, Stuart, come on, fella.
7: Yeah, no, first of all, thanks everyone that's mentioned Cov to uh, to change the league position. It's much appreciated because a lot of our fan base think that this is going to carry on and we're going to be relegated. Um, I, I'm in agreement with you guys. I think we are in a little bit of a false position. But I still think... I don't think that we'll get to the heights of last year. Um, but I do think that we will finish sort of above mid slightly above mid table so probably about 10th would be a risk realistic uh position for me. Uh I have said all season on our spaces and stuff that we um uh, that we're a top eight side. I still believe that but I think there's a lot of transition that's gone on uh with our team uh and just to echo what um uh, Argyle said uh and that's basically I think Ipswich you know, they have been really, really good and I don't want to take anything away from what they've done already. But I think they might they might start dropping off sort of in the uh, the back end of the uh season really.
0: Yeah, no, I I don't get where you're coming from in there. Dan
1: I was gonna say another team that I've been impressed by, but I just think due to the competitive nature of the table, and this is me saying that I think the bottom four t- teams of Sheffield Wednesday, Huddersfield, QPR and Rotherham, I think they're going to be so far adrift. I think the points gap from 21st to 20th is going to be huge. But a team that I've been impressed by whenever I've watched them, and even when we played them despite beating them 2-0, was Argyle. I think the way they attack, they get the numbers forwards really good. Um, they're really good to watch. They're a bit leaky at the back. But, you know, Cooper's came back from injury now. I think, you know, they're, they're a type of team that could... Sh- put a few results together, got a bit of momentum from coming up last season. You know, I know everyone's got eyes on Ipswich, but that might only strengthen their case if they want to maybe try and make a push later on in the season. You see how some teams can come from deep as the season goes on, like Coventry did last season to end up in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I'll get
0: you there, I'll get you there. Um go on in Stoke.
5: Uh, yeah, I think I just had a little scan of the league table there and it's up. It's so- pretty much a lot of teams are where you would sort of expect them to be. So it seems to be now sort of taking shape, but the three teams that did stick out are the three that we mentioned. Uh You have to be careful when you sort of mention it about Ipswich. I know Mike, who, who does this pod with me, um when we played them, and he sort of said like, you know, yeah, there's no way they're going to be still up there. No way. Come New Year, they'll be... They'll be fine in their level. They're just having a decent run, and they 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 went for him. <laughs> they really went for him. Uh, and obviously that was clipped up and sent around to some uh, Ipswich fan sites. And yeah, they, they were happy with that. But but yeah, well, in all seriousness, I think their defense is. It, it, that's there are a lot of games they go behind in, and they have to come back. And I think you can only do that for so long. You can only ride that sort of momentum of promotion and and keeping this run going. When they hit a bit of a sticky patch, it's sticky patch, sticky patch even, which I don't think they've done yet. When they do do, when they do hit that, then I think they're going to struggle if if they carry on going behind, um, like saying games and stuff, and they they're not keeping clean sheets. They're winning a lot of games. I like say, winning three, two, four, two games like that. All of a sudden, when you're not in, when your form drops a bit, those chances you start snatching at. You're not scoring the goals, and then all of a sudden, you can go on a, a bad run quite easily if you're that sort of team. And I think they will. Event, I don't think they'll. You know, There's not going to be any sort of lower half. But I definitely think they're going to finish. I'd say probably eighth to twelfth. I reckon by the end of it, that they they're not going to be up there with the with the top. Um, the top like two, three, four. Um, by the end of the season, uh, yeah, and I'd say Coventry. We played them the other week. I think they've got all the ingredients there. They, a bit like us, they've had a lot of new players over the summer, and it's just getting them all to bed. And I think um, when they do do that, they'll they'll win enough games to come up. And sort of, as sort of, Tom said in the comments as well. When Preston, they were weren't really impressed with them at all at Stoke. Um, they just capitalised on and the chances of doing, which I suppose is as a positive form, <laughs> he should be praised for that. But yeah, again, over the course of a season, you'd probably say you know, that's that's not going to get you in the playoffs.
0: No, okay. I, I agree with what you're saying there, Luke. Do you want to say anything, fella? Who, who do you think's in a false position right now?
4: To be honest, I've been. I do agree with a lot of what's been said already, but just throw a different one into the mix. I think Plymouth have maybe showed a little bit more than what the league table suggests, and. So we, we When we went up there, we won 3-1 in the end, but the game, they deserved more from it, really, especially the way they played in the first half. I think they're very good at home. They've got some very good attacking players. I'm not really sure why it's not quite clicking for them, especially away from home, but it wouldn't be, be a surprise to me the longer the season goes on, if they can settle in a little bit more with some of these difficulties, if they can move up the table a little bit more. I mean, with a follow-on question to, so obviously,
0: who is the one in the false position, who, and I'll come straight to you, Luke, um, i throw you under the bus to a degree and sort of work my way back around, and then we'll open it up to the floor. Um, who do you think, who is the team that's most impressed you this season so far? Then? Uh,
4: most impressed? I think we, we've talked a lot about Ipswich already, but I think the way that they've come up from from the league below and managed to put the form together that they have being so high in the table that they are currently. I think that's, you know, that's got to go down as quite impressive. Whether they can sustain that or not, I'm not sure. But I don't think they're really heavily invested in the summer, consider, considering, like, we were talking about the Premier League teams coming down and how hard it is to go up to the Premier League and stay there. You know, they haven't really done that investment. They have got the plan. They've got maybe a game plan, a style or a plan from the manager and, and the team is obviously together. And I think, for what they're doing at the moment, if they can continue that the rest of the season, then they probably deserve all the applauders they're going to get. And yeah, I've been quite impressed because a lot was said about their form before they came up and the calendar year 2023. I think they were spoken about as being one of the inform, if not the best inform team in Europe. And they've kind of carried it on to a certain extent. So yeah, I've been quite impressed with that.
0: Excellent. For well, those you just joined us and, and whatnot, what we're doing, we're just going to go through the panel uh, answering this final question, um, who's most impressed um, you this season so far, and then um, and then any other questions, and we we'll probably just have a, a normal discussion. But if there's any those of you who are listening who want to raise something with what's been said or you, you know you want to answer something or or even ask a question to the panel then uh, that will be your turn to to come on. It's really straightforward, it's bottom left hand corner and you just press request to speak and uh, and we'll get you on. It is a grown-up show so you, you can swear if you want to or, or say whatever you want but obviously the only rule is uh, don't libel anyone because otherwise the lawyers will be coming to your door. Not ours. Um, Stoke. Who's the team which most impressed you this season?
5: Um, I, I it would be really boring and say Leicester. When we played then, they were just, just it was just another level. Didn't help that we had sort of Josh Loren and Jordan Thompson in the back in the back line. But yeah, they just breezed through the game as if it was just a, a, a training exercise for them, and just comfortably wiped the floor with us. To be fair. <laughs> So what what teams impressed you? What's come up rather than a team that's come down? Um, sort of going against what I've just said about Ipswich, but yeah, obviously when we played them, at their place yeah, you know, the place was rocking. It was the first home game up. Um, yeah, you know, are they, are they, are they yeah, the sort of togetherness and the attacking play and everything else that they've got. Um, that impressed me. I say they, they did; they really did impress me. Um, I know I just sort of saying I think they'll fall apart, but I think that's more to do with finding your level in the long run. Um, but yeah, when we played them, we would, um, like I say, everything from the crowd, uh, the atmosphere that was there, sort of the togetherness, bond between them all, and um, to what was happening on the pitch, and sort of the how the manager had them playing. Yeah, I thought Ipswich were really good. Um, yeah, really good value for that win when they played us.
0: Excellent. Just before you come in, um, Aaron, I personally think Argyle has has hit the championship running. I think um, they've not had a bad go at the championship um, compared to, you know, others. You know, there's obviously at the bottom, you've got a couple will come up and you've obviously got um, QPR down there. But I think Argyle is, is holding their own at the moment. So, yeah, go on then, Aaron, in you come. And then I'll go
3: to you, Stuart. Next, yeah, uh, it's 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 quite ironic having like Swans and Millwall uh, hosting this and sort of like the Swans contributors because it was those two games where we just didn't show any savvy, uh, didn't show any street smarts, um, and yeah, you know, both the, the last goal we conceded in both of those games, and we might have got a ref decision, but I don't think would have changed the outcome. Uh, where we, you know, we sort of gave a good go, and during that international break that followed after those two games, it was the international break, and during that. The the manager said, um, you know, we we're going to work on some things, uh, and that like basically that the next game against West Brom, we picked up seven yellow cards and five of those I think were tactical fouls. It's just like if that's the way it goes in this league. If that's what we'd we'd seen in those first sort of. Uh, 10 games or whatever it was um that's that's what we've got to do um because we've con- p- conceded far too many passes into the into the final third and especially into the box um conceding too much open play xg and although we haven't had the best results since then i think we drew with west brom and you can see from that game plan it was literally just we're not even going to bother attacking we're just going to you know we're going to get a clean sheet from this game and then we're going to build from there but then we beat wednesday at home um lost that game to ipswich right after that uh, which you know we would have had a very decent chance of getting at least something from um if we'd have been one 0 up against ten men. Um then what was it? We drew three all with Borough at home. Um which you know we were lucky maybe not to get a man sent off ourselves first bit of good fortune and then the two one against Leeds, which, you know, I don't think we can complain that we didn't get anything from that. But, you know, Leeds were probably the most impressive side we played against without sort of really getting out of third gear. They were, you know, you just see some of the individual talent. Somerville just ghosting past people like he belongs at a a higher level. Ruter was taking the mick at times, although it didn't always work out for him. But they they need to get a bit more of a killer instinct if they're going to really sort of catch the tails of the, the two above them, because they should have buried us at times, and which were wasteful. Uh, and I think they sort of thought, oh, we've got this in the bag. And then we played like we have been playing, like you guys have been praise, praising us for. Uh, in the second half, and I got the got the uh, consolation, and they, you know, the fans are all of a sudden after taking the Mick, we're sort of calling for the final whistle and we're biting the nails. So, yeah, we, you know, I think Ipswich have been able to do what we haven't doing, that's get the results. They've been leaky, uh, and their keepers kept out, as I said earlier. You know, he sort of say five or six goals above what he's expected to, uh, and that's a difference between a heck of a lot of points and a lot of games that you win by one goal. Um, you know, and so there's nothing against our keeper, uh, Connor Hazard. He's come in from Celtic and uh, he's, he's been ousted by Cooper. Now Cooper's back from fitness, but but they've been able to sort of carry on that form. And although we've sort of carried on sort of well, even better football, really, we changed our our um, formation um, and that sort of bedded in. I think we had a lot of people who hadn't played, a lot of players, a lot of players in the squad who hadn't played at championship level before. And even some of the guys that have come in on loan from the Premier League teams that are playing, have commented they're only just getting up to the 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 physicality and the intensity of the league so um hopefully what's been good performances without a bit of savvy and maybe just not having um the ability to finish teams off like we did last season we were you know very fit team last season and got a lot of late goals and ironically we were the ones winning by the odd goal although we're now um um, you know playing maybe a little bit of silkier football than we did at times last year We've maybe need ourselves needed to get up to fitness and get used to it, get a bit of nause bit of a bit of fouling, a uh, bit of uh, tactical fouling and um street smarts in our game. hopefully now we can start turning some of those performances into into points because there have been times where you know I think the middle of the first half, the first half we were sort of spent the entirety in your half but without really ever troubling you. I'm to remember the name of your, your central centre back. He was he was brilliant. Um, Would have and, been
1: Harding, I think.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, just, it, it, it's fine, sort of like playing silky football if you've got enough on the end of it. And then you know, it was a real, it was the stereotypical smash and grab. You know, you can't resent it. That's the way you got to play football at times. Um, and we need a, we need a bit more of that. So I know I've been I've been ranting on, but you know, being one of the teams has come up. It's you know we smashed Norwich six two at home. Um, uh, if you haven't seen Azaz's goal, where he sort of does a double lollipop and sends the two defenders chasing the ball like a golden retriever after a tennis ball, it's hilarious. But that's um, gonna be the comment of the
0: that's gonna be the comment of the show isn't it. If anyone sound clips this, it's got <laughs> to be that bit. Fifty
3: five minutes in, that bit's gonna be sound clipped in it. <laughs> but yeah, we've, we've played some decent football. We scored loads of goals. We get like the most highest percentage of shots on target and stuff. Uh, you know, we just haven't been as ruthless as. As Ipswich have been, but I think both of those teams have come up, and I think Wednesday show the contrast of if you don't have a good manager, and don't have a good philosophy. And the, the one thing I will say for Ipswich is, they are you know they're more than the sum of their parts. I mean, you don't really look at any of their players. I don't think any of you know the, the top ten sides maybe look at their players and think, oh, I'd have him. Any day of the week, I mean, their front line is is pretty good. Leaf Davis, I think, is a standout. Leaf Davis is going to play at a higher level. I think that, you know, with him aside, the team doesn't bristle with with names, but they're more than the sum of their parts. I mean, Argyle are to an extent, but we're not second in the league and on on that run of form. You think what they're doing? I think that's credit to the manager. I think the manager's got a real sort of team spirit and togetherness there. So that's really impressive. Whenever you've got um, got a team performing above it. Um, you know it's component parts that that's more than uh, any any one individual player and that's not to you know downplay those players but uh, you you didn't see any bids coming in did you in the summer for those guys for sort of like 20 15 million pounds to sort of take them to to to, to Luton or, or whatever so i think that you know that's real credit to everybody in that squad and the manager
0: oh well, yeah i mean I, I would say that if it wasn't for our sheffield wednesday um win uh, the other day, Dan would have been voted um, Argyle away as uh, as his game of the, the season. I think it's away day of
1: the season, wouldn't you, Dan? I still am, mate. Sorry. Um, no, there you yeah. go. Yeah, I still am. Yeah, no. Um, on the question, it took him about three days to get home, but love that's uh, well worth it. I'd do it all again as well. Um, two teams that impressed me the most this season. The first one, um, I'm going to be boring and pick a relegated team, but I, I'm going to go for Leeds, and I think that was also partly down to our in at performance that day, but the way they just played, um, particularly moving the ball forwards. And I thought Amper in midfield for them was just class. He looks one of the best players in the league. Um, and I'm also going to say Swansea because they were, you know, pretty wretched just before they came to us and they played. They came to us, they had a game plan, they played us off the park. One moment they was, you know, pumping the ball. Well, not pumping, but, you know, they, they were putting it a bit more direct up to their up to their strike, and the next. You know, they're, they're moving the ball around the back really nicely, zipping it about, getting it down the wing and scoring. So, I think they'll be the two teams that have um, impressed me the most this season so far that we've played. I mean, saying that, in our next four games, we've got to play Leicester and Ipswich. There's every chance one of them could also go into that kind of bracket. And
0: negative Dan is back. Um, Stuart, go on in, fella. Um,
7: who's yeah, I was who's just going to say, you? yeah, just the, uh, obviously again to echo and I'm going to sound boring uh but uh, but and contradiction as well really because obviously I did say that Ipswich might fall off but that the I had them for relegation to be fair when they first come up uh and they have impressed me quite a lot with uh, with with their finishing really more than anything because Chaplin for us couldn't really hit a barn door in his scoring for fun for them uh but uh, obviously he has been with Ipswich a little bit longer and got used to the system for a lot longer as well. Um But, you, you know, so they're the teams really that impress me that's come up. I do like, obviously, how Plymouth are. We were, we were looking at Whittaker as well for Argyle. Uh, but Hull, uh, Rossini. I, I just think, he, he, I think he's a special manager and I think he's going to do really, really well for Hull. Um I like the way they play football. I like they you know, that they they carry on to the death, you know. I think they got a late winner against us. Uh they've lost a big player in Estupinian who were uh, who I think he was sold or he's gone on loan somewhere else. Uh but Hall, yeah, Resenia for me, he's is uh, impressing me and I think they'll be up or thereabouts, I think, come the end of the season as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um for, for me it's, it's like pretty much where everybody else says it's which have been um I mean they blew us away. I mean it is there's is not often you come away from a game and you you don't feel mad that you've just got absolutely stonked 3-0, but from the first minute to the 90th, we just couldn't lay a finger on them. And the they're, they're just like the, the how aggressively um attacking they are and how quick they've zipped the ball about the pitch, and they've got a clear identity, and every single player in that squad is just seems, you know, so drilled into into their style of play that it's almost second nature to all of them. Um, I think there was some stat where they've scored in every game since February or something like that, and I, I, there's a lot of people saying that they think they're going to fall off, and I'm looking at them playing, and I'm just thinking I don't think they will. Um, it's hard to stop a a team that's, you know, just, we're going to score more goals than you. I I don't think they're actually that bothered about conceding the goals. I think they're just going to try and score as many as possible in each game. And and when you come up against a side like that, that's going to say, yeah, we're not bothered about being open because we're going to go up the other end and put three or four past you. It's really hard to counter that without, you know, completely sitting back and sort of sacrificing your style of play. So so they're almost taking the power in every game by saying, you've got to change the way you play if you want to stop us. Um, which is tough. Um, Plymouth, Plymouth have impressed me. Um, I thought they were resilient. At our our ground, I thought, you know, they were they were, they were very good. Um, it's it, they've definitely taken the step up in 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 the leagues to sort of. In their stride, and I think that I mean, I didn't give them much chance at the beginning of the season. I think, um, so Aaron will tell you as well. I predicted them to go down, and I, I think now when you're looking at them, I don't think they will. I don't think they'll be anywhere near the bottom three. Um, but yeah, it's 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 Ipswich to me, probably the best side in the league that that we've played so far. Um, and, and, I mean, I say that because we we went to Leicester and won, so <laughs> it's, it's it was it was one of those games where they looked to the class above, we somehow sneaked to win, but for Ipswich, were amazing, They were, they were very good. I mean, we've had a, another message coming from again from a Millwall
0: fan, Aaron. For you, it says, uh, "Hats off to Plymouth fans. It's like they need a stamp in their passport for every away game."
3: Yeah, it is mad. I know we people like sort of like to take the Mick, but um, I've got a mate who comes up to the to the games, takes him an hour and a half to get to the game on the train, you know, from Cornwall. Uh, that's wow. his home game. That's his home game. Um, uh, and you, people sort of think Argyle fans are a bit bitter or chip on their shoulder when people say, "Oh, we we took four thousand to sort of trip X, an hour and twenty minutes away," and we're just like, "You got no idea." It's not just one game; like week in, week out, is is it's just it, especially when it's not going well or it's frustrating or there's a stupid mistake that costs you. And it's sort of like, and you're getting home gone midnight every time. It's yeah. I'm glad I don't do it by a coach. I don't do it much at all anymore because I've got a family and stuff. But uh yeah. Oh yeah, what a waste of youth some of those games were. Yeah.
0: I'll tell you what it is quite amazing. We've had another message coming from a from an Argyle fan who says, I think that's every single contributor that's complimented now us now. Um and, and I think he's right. And I think it's it's probably because people didn't expect to see it coming. So, look, I mean, those of you listening, uh, if any of you want to get involved now and, and have your say, then um, the floor is open. I mean, any of the, the shows on here, if you've got a question or, or something what you want to ask the panel, um, we're opening the floor up now to, to general stuff before we come on to the,
1: the Everton question in a little bit. Dan, you got anything? I was just going to ask. Obviously, I don't know if anyone is kind of watching the England game, but you know, there's kind of there's been a shocking VAR decision um, in this. So I think it kind of leads us on. You know, we're always complaining about the standards of refereeing in the division, So, where does everyone kind of stand on VAR in this league?
0: There we go. What a question to lead in. Oh, I, th- I think it should be a no. I don't want yeah. VAR. We've got we've got Hawk High as it is, and I think that that i think potentially cost clubs about 80,000 pound a club to have um, hawkeye for to be able to have the goal technology to see whether or not it's a goal or not uh, which i think is all you need the rest of it to me is what football's about it's it's about that last minute decision you know where half the fans think it was onside half the fans thought it was offside and and You've got the ones who don't care it was a goal and their team one. Um, using VAR to me just takes out all the enjoyment of of watching a game from it being about chance and luck, and you're then sort of controlling it to a degree. Aaron, I'll come to you in a sec, let Stuart finish his point and then I'll come straight to you, fella, afterwards. Go on, Stuart.
7: No, I was just gonna say I, I don't I don't want it either. Um, for me the the linesman and the fourth official don't just to let you know England's just equalised. Harry Kane's literally come on for f- oh no, sorry. Uh yeah, it was Kane, I think. Uh he's been on for about a second. Uh and he's just got a header from a corner.
1: He learned that at Millwall.
7: <laughs> uh yeah, so uh, for me the um the fourth officials and the linesman whether they're told that they're not meant to do enough, I just I just think it's a joke that they, that they don't do enough. Um, you know, they struggle, for us anyway, I find, that they, make a dis- they struggle to make a decision on a throw-in or a corner uh, or a blatant free kick uh, that they just don't flag for. And it winds me up as well that even in the Premier League and in the Championship, they're just so slow to make a decision on offsides when it's the clearest offside that you can possibly see but they still let it go on for another five, ten seconds after the after you know that that it's offside, and then they decide to flag. It just frustrates me that they that the linesman and the fourth official just don't do enough.
5: I, yeah, I think the issue there is if they miss something, like there's something that they haven't noticed, maybe a player on the far side or something, and then in that decision they put the flag up. And then it turns out that, like I say, there was something that, that yeah, like I say, someone on the floor 30 yards away that they haven't noticed or anything like that. And in that split second, the flag goes up and then it's like, ah, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have, uh, should have waited. I I, th- I think that it is, it is if few few do to get me wrong, I'm just saying I think that's the reason why they do it. Um... But do you need VAR, really, when you've got two linesmen
0: on... I mean, if the linesman can't do the fact, then, then what? Go on, Aaron. Sorry, mate. You need to come in. Go on.
3: No, just that there's no point having VAR when it can't be used properly. It's kind of a moot point. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it's until until it, when VAR works, because, like, you, you're all saying, you know, it, it, it ruins the game. But if it got decisions right, I would be 100% behind it. But the fact is, well, it, we're used to human error in the split second, and we could take that. Because human error in the split second, <sighs> no one's going to get every decision right. But it's when there's human error, when you've got practically unlimited time, X amount of replays, and you can still get what's blatantly obviously a penalty or not a penalty or not humble, whatever it is wrong, then it just becomes a VAR. So there's no point talking about having VAR when VAR is no better than just the ref it, on field. I think that's the, the first thing. If once, yeah. once once VAR is fixed, then you can talk about whether it's what's implemented it, it or not.
0: It's, it's weird, isn't it? It works in rugby and it works in cricket and it seems to work fairly well in Australia. And they have, you know, the the sound played into the stadium and everything else. So, you know, it seems to work there. It's just for some reason it works in European games as such, but it doesn't seem to work well um, in the UK. Go on, Luke. Yeah, so,
5: oh, yeah,
4: just because you touched on the rugby point there, I've uh, been saying that for a long time on our podcast, I think football introduced VAR and they wanted to be different. They wanted to do their own thing. When I personally think the TMO system in rugby is a blueprint they just needed to follow and it works so well. But a big, the biggest part of why it works so well is the communication that the referees are trained to talk to each other with a clear, concise messaging. The way they ask the question is what they're looking for. Like it depends on how they word it is, what the VAR can sort of help with, if that makes sense. Like they might ask, is there a reason to disallow the goal? Or they might ask, was there an offside? There's two different questions. Um and it just works so much better as a result of that. But I'll go a little bit further because this year they've introduced the the added minutes, haven't they, at the end of games with people time wasting and all that sort of stuff and they're quite inconsistent with it. Obviously it's something they want to stamp out of the game. I personally think, again, going back to rugby, they do it so much better just by having the stopwatch. And if that was brought into football alongside the TMO or the VAR system working correctly. They wouldn't need to have this ridiculous amount of added time and players just wouldn't time waste because they know the clock's going get, to get stopped and they would just, they'd just they just get straight back up, I think, personally. And they would just cut it out straight straight away. They wouldn't need for any of this stupid yellow cards with time wasting and playing the ref and then the inconsistency of how much they actually add on and if they do it all the time or not. It would just be gone. No, I'll tell you again, you, let's
0: just do some of these messages what come coming so we don't lose uh, people. Uh, Says week in week out, our goal boys are there in numbers. Um, Nigel says level of refereeing has got worse. Too reliant on VAR, refs in Championship aren't great, and we get we get punished. We get the punished Premier refs. Uh, Dan says VAR could be another reason why staying up has become so hard. Sometimes you need luck, and VAR just eradicates it. Pretty much why I said. Um, and we've got uh, Vox, uh, again, uh, says Southgate Ball is shit. VAR is ruining the game. Don't worry. We, we probably watching Southgate Ball week in, week out under Rowett. Um, and now he's not there. So, yeah, hopefully that will change. Uh, Danboy2288 says, yep, that's another reason to prefer the championship. Fuck VAR. Uh, Ronnie Gaylor says, fuck Argyle. There we go. Um, obviously not an Argyle fan there, um, pretty much we are up, so yeah, you guys on the panel now, just come in whenever you want to come in, I suppose, rather than me keep bringing you in, if you want to follow on to what someone's saying then, then do it. I just think VAR, to be honest, is just I just don't think it will work um, until like what Luke said and, and what Aaron said, you know, it needs to be brought in properly. It works in football. It works in rugby. It works in cricket. Um, why the hell we never took that blueprint and just said, that's the way we're going to do it?
2: Football's not meant to be perfect, is it? It's not meant no. to be. That's, that's the thing. So What VAR's trying to do is make every single decision in every part of the game so precise that it, 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 it's overdone it. like To me, if you're going to use VAR, which I, I, I would rather never do, but if they're going to use it, they should only use it to review things like you know off the ball incidents or has the ball gone off the pitch. That kind, of, you know, the, the the if they're going to use it, use it that way. Stop having the refs sort of you know fearing out of making a decision in fear of being wrong and letting just VAR sort it. Um, because the the, the refs at the minute are just they don't know what to do, and and it, and it's sort of trickling down the leagues now is to a point that. Officials just don't have a clue what's going on. So in our games, like this season, it's just been game after game after game. It's been awful decision. And then it's it. Who's who's got control of it now is, is, is probably the big point of it for the Premier League. And then <clears throat> no one wants to be refs anymore either. Uh, and then Slut. a big part for me for VIR as well is that emotion in the game is what makes football what it is. And for me, I can't imagine celebrating a goal and sort of half celebrating it because you don't know if it's going to get given. And then you've got to wait, you know, 30 seconds to a minute for the goal to either be given or not given. And then if it is given, that second cheer is not going to be like that instant sort of rapture of scoring a goal, is it? It's going to be a muted, yay, kind of thing. And that, that to me just is it's diluted football and now nah, I'm, I'm not for VAR whatsoever.
3: I think VAR was introduced in many ways because the standard of refereeing Deteriorated slightly. Good I mean, point. refs have always made made you know bad decisions, uh, and I know we've got we live in a society now where everyone has to have someone to blame, etc. But the standard refereeing has declined, and part of that is because of the abuse at lower levels and stuff. But I mean, I looked into sort of some of the years ago, sort of like what just needs to become a ref. And I thought, blow that. I didn't even get past sort of you know, the early stages of it. It's like, it's, it's harder to, to, to become a referee than it is to sort of get a master's degree. um. And yet somehow they're still really rubbish. And the problem with VAR is essentially the reason why VAR was introduced in the first place, which is the standard of refereeing isn't good enough. So the standard referee refereeing isn't good enough to inter- need to introduce VAR. Well, the video assistant referee is just of as poor a quality as the referees on the pitch, and therefore mistakes are still going to be made. You're not you're papering over the cracks. The problem at the root is the standard of officiating needs to be improved, if not slightly, quite considerably. And you know, yes, referees do make a lot more correct decisions than wrong ones, but we've been on the receiving end and the you know the beneficial end of some absolute howlers this season absolute howlers and some of those by premier league referees so you know that's the root problem is the standard of officiating you can have three or four layers of video assistance but if everybody operating them is just as bad as each other you're still going to end up with wrong decisions
7: so, do you
0: think you should have fixed players in the var lounge well uh... that's
3: people say that, but they don't necessarily understand the rules. I mean, you have pundits who don't understand the rules, talk about intent and things on, on red card tackles. Like, Oh, I didn't mean to, and it's like that's not the that's not the law. That's that's written nowhere in the law. So I think if you if you could, I think it would be good to get ex players or even ex coaches or or people who haven't completed their licenses involved, but people who who understand the laws as well as so, so you know an ex pro who studied the laws of the game and passed like some kind of theory test, if you want to call it that, to simply, you know to to use an analogy, who could who can then yes maybe, but there's not really much that an ex player will know of the laws and people say oh the rest not understood that it's like well you don't understand the laws because that's you know the ref applied the law the problem is there's not a consistency in the application of the laws you know one guy the ball hits his, his sleeve it's a handball next game it's not a handball one guy well, goes quite down deep, easy in the box you know it's like it should be clear and obvious but there's not a consistent application of the laws and that's what i mean it doesn't matter how many degrees or layers of video assistance you have if the standard of officiating isn't applying or, or the officials aren't applying the the rules of the game consistently yeah. then you're always going to have the same same problems and that's the root so, problem that needs addressing yeah
7: well, that's, totally that's, the, I mean, that's the word isn't it consistency that's what we all want
0: yeah i mean we've had a message coming from again from someone who's listening uh chris brown is a Mill fan, but he said it's ridiculous when a goal is disallowed because his toenail is offside. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Luke, do you want to come in, fella?
4: I just wanted to say, um, like, about, about the reason the VA was brought in, I'm just wondering, I don't know if this is, you know, linked, but I was thinking of the bigger picture here, and maybe, it's not necessarily the standard of refereeing has got worse, but the scrutiny has increased with the rise of social media yeah, and the increase so. in technology. And maybe they're thinking, oh, we should use this better technology to help us. But they've not really found a way to do that because ultimately it's still humans making the decision. And, you know, that is the root of the cause, as was mentioned. But I think the scrutiny that comes with social media is probably a big part of it because now we can all watch the replays hundreds of times. Whereas back in the day when these same decisions might have been being made, you either see it in real time or you see it on match of the day once. And, and that's what you're really going to see about it. But but it's different now, isn't it? Not even you see that's interesting. In social
2: media either, though. It's like, um, it's managers as well, calling out refs in press conferences and um, post-match interviews and, and sort of like the rise of, of of sports radio and television and everything like that. getting instant reactions after a game when emotions are high and everything. Obviously, the best point to get an interview. But when a manager's coming out straight out, you know, if they're on the losing end of a bad decision, first thing they do is they come out and they, they, they start talking about the refs and I feel like now in, in the referee's mind when he's on the pitch especially at some of the highest levels where it's you know a lot of tellies um, it's, it's well documented it's followed by a lot of people online and they're kind of they're scared in, in, in making decisions because they're thinking about the repercussions of it kind of thing like obviously you wouldn't want to think that a professional at, at the highest levels of sport is going to do that but you surely as a human being you know at some point your subconscious is going to be like well you know I'm a bit intimidated here kind of thing. Yeah, but that's so, yeah, countered by like the,
3: the recent Liverpool thing, you know, with the, with the offside goal. It's like that. that's just baffling degrees of, of incompetence and unprofessionalism. You know, there's no communication there. Yeah, you know, I know they're panicking. Maybe, oh, we've got to get a decision done because we've been told to hurry up our decisions X, Y and Z. But you're there to do a job, you know, in any job you've been in, whether it's delivering pizzas or flipping burgers or it's, you know, top-end stuff you don't panic you get the job done you know and and so to sort of say oh, they're they're under pressure it's like well if you can't handle the pressure then you you need to step down a level or go to a different job but you oh, know plenty true. of us have been in jobs where you know you know even even low le- low level or unskilled jobs if you can't keep up with the pace of the job the boss says look i don't think you're cut out for this maybe you shouldn't be a Pod carrier or a t- roofer or whatever it might be. You know, you just, you, you know, you're knackered at the end of the day, you're turning up late in the morning, you can't deal with the stress of it. If they can't deal with that pressure, it's like a professional footballer. Yes, you need physical ability, but you need psychological strength as well. Um, and I think that if, if that's impacting your performance, then, you know, that that's part of your suitability for the role. Um, I, mean,
0: so I'm, I mean, there's Matt, who's on here, who's obviously a Reading fan um, and used to be part of our group last season. Uh, well, still part of the group. he's one of the founders, but um, he says, you know, if you think the refs are bad in the championship, wait until you see the ones in League One. I mean, you come up from League One last season. Are the refs any better in there, Aaron?
3: Yes and no. I mean, that's why, you know, I've been so disappointed with some of the howlers we've got. It's, it's very much of a muchness, but yeah, uh, I think because the game's that little bit more, should we say, agricultural down there. I mean, there are some absolute whoppers, don't get me wrong. Um, but like, there's there's just so many, so, so much gets sort of let go. But you kind of get that because it's there's so much less there's there's often less moments of quality that you're going to get punished from. You know, we've come up, we've played brilliant, and normally we'd expect a couple of sl- slips and beat a team three-one. Whereas teams shut up shop. We make one mistake and it gets punished. Or the referee misses one thing and it gets punished. And now we understand why everyone's got these tactical fouls because there's such quality in this league. If you let someone go, or well, the ref makes a bad decision. That's one goal, two goal, that's game over. So I think it's slightly... There's less jeopardy in the... Load. The refs are worse down there. But there's less jeopardy in each decision, if that makes sense. Whereas, no, it does. Up here, like you, you, you know, you make a mistake, and that, or, or the ref makes a mistake, rather, and that could be game over. Like I said, in Ipswich, Ipswich game, striker gets taken out from behind. Clearly, like he can't dive because he doesn't know where the guy is. He's literally right behind him. He goes down. It's, it's outside the box, but it's a clear red card. Um, and you know that doesn't happen. We lose the game three two. And yeah, you can extrapolate the game, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. The jeopardy in in moments is much higher up here in the championship. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I mean. Waxley
0: again has commented and said even the pundits are are clueless nowadays and we've got someone else who's coming who said for me VAR uh, Luke um, 06699632 on Twitter has basically dropped us a DM and said for me VAR ruins football and that buzz of seeing the flag stay down and with VAR we wouldn't get that all we'd get is uncertainty so fuck VAR which you know I sort of agree with with him on there because it it, it is but on a on a slightly sort of controversial and I'll be interested to see because one of you raised the point about you know social media is a is a problem but I think that on 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 a level that social media is a problem that there's a lot more instant reaction I suppose you know not not talking about the abuse in that but the instant reaction but then on the downside of that what you've got is you've got the likes of sky all the media companies all the media papers you know the the whole of the media side of it including us to a degree we will post something same as they do to to gain a reaction to gain people talking about it but obviously on nowhere near the same level as some of these national media companies when on one hand they moan about the level of abuse what comes from social media but on the other hand they're the people what are feeding it they're the people what want, you know, they're the ones who sit there and, you know, Jim White is a prime example for that, you know, he will moan about a referee decision. Um, and then pretty much they will start the pylon, Carrigan and Neville and people like that will start the pylon when they're going to town. And that's what sort of carries on with the social media. So you can't have it both ways. You either want that instant reaction from fans and, and that real reaction, or
1: you don't. You can't have it both ways. I would just say, in my opinion, to one thing that I would honestly think would just make a small difference to VAR, but make it better. When they're looking at fouls, for example, if you look at something as a still image or in slow motion, it's obviously going to look 10 times worse than you did at real speed. Like, if you just play stuff at real speed, it actually gives you an accurate kind of reflection on it. And I also think, as well, there should be maybe some kind of... I'm not maybe saying timings is an issue, but maybe the amount of camera angles you can see... Um, kind of stuff from because if you can see stuff from like obviously one angle, it's going to make it look horrible, but like, obviously the referees there, like surely they should be trying to give it to the most like uh, angle relevant to the ref. Yeah, they'll totally <laughs> choose
3: the worst angle, won't they, to show, and it's like, well actually if you showed it from the the other 100%. Angle, if, if anyone's watching this so,
1: England game, then you would have seen it with the penalty we conceded.
3: Yeah, well, I, I'm not. But, you know, it's sort of like if you if you choose, you're you're basically framing the reference for the referee on the pitch, aren't you? You know, you're showing the worst image. And so you're naturally framing his, his sort of. He's going to assume that every angle makes it look like that, potentially. Um, so, yeah. yeah I, mean,
0: I mean, Chris has come on with another point. He said refs are on a hide into nothing, they're getting abuse from players, fans, and pundits. Which they are when they're making. I mean, it can't, it's not easy to be a referee. And then all of a sudden, you get people in a, you know, with the view of, with the benefit of replays and slow motion and freeze frame and everything else, suddenly calling the ref and saying, actually, you've made a mistake. You need to look at this. But it should be that the ref should, mm-hmm. like in cricket, like in rugby, where they then go to the screen, watch it in real time, and then make the decision. Because refs, you know, sometimes might get blocked. But because we don't do that, that's why VAR is is where it is. Because it's just literally... It's the same as everything to do with football, isn't it? They do things on the minimum, rather but than actually they also the time things. Like, there's a
3: Byzantine yeah. amount of laws on like, oh, you can't go back once the game's restarted and you can't do this or that or the other. And, you know, both guys have to turn their key at the same time. And it's just daft. Like, you know, there should be freedom. Like rugby has it uh, has it now where the the uh, you know Swansea you feel free to, to correct me but you know the, there's a roaming eye essentially so the ref gets on with the game and if something clear and obvious has been missed then the the the, the match official the, the t- television match official can come in and say by the way there was a handball in the build up to that or yeah, if it was football you know or there was this foul play um, and then so, and retroactively you can then uh, uh, you know send you know uh, give cards or, or whatever um, so. That It would be so much easier if there weren't so many layers to what you were allowed and weren't allowed to do. It's almost like they try and factor out anything that can complicate things, but uh, just produces more things to trip over. You know, the more laws you add, then the less principle is involved. The principle should be there to clear up anything that's gone wrong. But when you start to say, well, you can only do that in this circumstance or that circumstance, you can't do it for this. Then all of a sudden, there's always going to be exceptions to that. And all of a sudden you've now sort of alienated a bunch of, of supporters because they, they're not going to get a decision which was wrongly or rightly given purely because of some arbitrary rule you've included in the application of the
4: process. 100%, 100% yeah. agree agree on that. Yeah, you're right. Um, basically, they got someone in, in a van, I guess, looking behind them and they might see a bad tackle or they might see like forward pass in rugby, for example, and they review it as the game is playing, and then they will tell the referee, OK, you might need to stop and have a look. We think it's a forward pass. Or, and sometimes, you know, in the next stop, or we'll play or something like that. Now, I guess the football will worry about what happens if there's a goal that is scored before they go back and review footage. But ultimately, I think, you're, you either want the technology brought in to make the correct decision, or you don't. And that's what it boils down to. So they, they make that decision. And if the decision is they want the technology then they've got to adapt to it and that's and that's that, that's what they need to do. So like if a goal is scored in that instance, they need to go back, check, review it, and if the foul is there or the decision needs to be made that uh, the game should have been stopped for whatever the instant was, then you know that, so be it. But maybe that's the question that needs to be answered is do they want technology to make better decisions or do they not? Because they need to implement it properly if the answer to that question is yes.
5: I'd, I'd like to see them take the sort of the cricket way of doing it, where each team gets, say, two two reviews as such, where they can say, you know, that was off offside, but they have to say what they're appealing against. If they get it right, they retain the review. If they get it wrong, then they've lost one. Then the emphasis then not everything sort of being scrutinised massively or whatever. It's down to the, it's down to the captain, manager, whoever. To, to say like you know, to, to go and, and make that decision about what they want to be putting through VAR. I think it's just been a, a, a different, maybe an interesting take on it. And I mean,
0: when it comes to Southampton, um, Southampton, the um, Tottenham manager, his um, his clip will come out the other day was you know quite good. He said, you know, there's no point, you know, it's all about respect. Don't slag off the managers, but it's all about knowing the laws. And then basically figuring a way to get past them, and that's what you do. You find the loopholes, and that's what you know. That's what the clubs and everything else should be doing is just find that loophole.
3: The, the American football have a very interesting challenge system, a bit like cricket, where you can flow a, throw a challenge flag. It is limited in what you can, what rules you can challenge, but basically, anytime you think that the referees have got a, a decision wrong, the coach can can toss a card, like sort of like referring to the third umpire in cricket. Um, and then if you get it right, you get to keep your challenge, and if you get it wrong, you lose it, um, you know, and, and I think that would be an effective, like if the captain or the coach could say, no, there was a foul in the build-up there, I want to use my challenge, and then it goes to a, to, to a video assistant referee, and then if it's not right, you lose it, and it's gone, and so people aren't going to be hounding the ref constantly, if they really feel like they have been done an injustice, it was an offside, or, you know, there, there's a foul in the build-up, then They'll use their their challenge for it, and if they don't, and they're just being, you know, difficult. Then play on, uh, and that would put the onus on you know you could challenge it for whatever rule you think was broken, um, and and then if if you if it's upheld, great, and if it's not, then you've you've lost your challenge, and then you could rob rob. You're not then at the mercy of whether the VAR decides it was clear and obvious or however they want to decide it was worth reviewing or not. You've got the power as a team then, and you take control of the. The the technology, as it were.
0: Yeah, no, let's see, it, let's see. It. I mean, look, I, I think so. What I'm gaining from this is that, in its current form, uh, we all agree that VAR shouldn't come into the championship. I think no, no, not for me. Consensus? No, not for me. No, no, So on the on have we got a final part left. So I'd say there's probably about another. Twenty minutes or so left, um, and I just want to tap on obviously what's what's happened this last week with obviously Everton um, being penalised with um, and having a ten point deduction, and there was a point what was raised in the Championship group what we're all in um, on obviously that you know where one of the guys put you know the Everton news is encouraging the pyramid has been ruined by first Abramovich Chelsea and now City to the point that even established premiership teams have to fudge the rules to try and stay competitive. And should the focus uh, of the attention now on Chelsea and City and how their financial um, fudging, rather than the word he put, put but say fudging, has fucked the pyramid completely up. Um, And do you think that potentially Man City could get, an excessive amount of points deduction and potentially come into to championship or, or league one, or do you think that it will just be a huge fine and, and a slap wrist and they won't go anywhere? Any one of you guys uh, from the panel or even anyone else want to come in on that? Knock yourself out. Who wants to go first?
3: I, I don't think, I think firstly, City have got the best lawyers in the world yeah. um, and as much money as the Allegedly. As much money as Premier League have, they're not got the lawyers on the same level as Man City. Um, sec- secondly, if if they did get relegated or you know sort of demoted to the bottom of the ch- the the football pyramid pyramid, even they would just keep they'd find another way to fudge the books and pay players as much as they need to be paid and just climb back up in in four or five seasons. City are such a you know a different beast. Um, you know, it, it's almost worth letting clubs like that go and form a Super League if they want to. Although City were one of the ones who wanted to stay, to be fair. But, you know, it, it's just such a different stratosphere of, of, of a level that they can sort of play at. The, the, you know, the crime that they can commit, you know, what is it they say that, you know, poor people are criminals and rich, you know, rich criminals are businessmen or something like that. That's what I'm saying in there, that if you know how to play the system, you can you can get away with anything. And, and I think that's going to be the case for City. That, and, you know, and Chelsea can say, well, it wasn't our ownership. You know, you can maybe hit the club. But then the, the problem for the Premier League is if you're going to sanction these clubs, the question comes back to you. Why did you let these people buy the clubs? And why did you not investigate this earlier? Especially in Chelsea. Well, I think
0: you see, the, you see the problem is, is that we've had it in the Championship. We've seen it with, with Burnley and, and, and other clubs. Is that The rules around owning a football club Aren't necessarily about the ownership. It's about the fact that if you're the owner, you will be penalised if you don't fulfil the league, um, the league's needs. So if you can't fill the team to play forty-six games, i.e., for the championship, then you're in breach. But realistically, you could fill the team and be absolute dog shit. And realistically. The league isn't interested in you. You can pretty much do anything you want and the league's not interested as long as you make sure that you fulfil the requirements of that league. That's the problem you've got. Until those rules change, then you're, you're always going to have these problems. You're going to have, if you're mega, mega rich, you'll basically be able to do what you want because you've got the money to, to change it. I mean, let's be honest. If Man City, say, get a fine of a £100 million, then they're paid that £100 million probably over a space of 10 years and it will move forward. But if Argyle got a fine of £100 million, that's you gone.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the, in, in a way, it's, it kind of felt that way with Everton, although it's a joke to sort of call Everton a sort of oh. smaller fish. But, you know, you kind of get the feeling that, they think, well, we, we can have a go at fired mush, mush, uh, no. Yeah, that's right, mushiri, isn't it? Um, rather than sort of like you know the crown prince because his his lawyers will probably be a little bit more easy to tangle with and we can probably make this one stick but I think they might maybe have have underestimated sort of what Everton will will reply with but it is the case that if if, you know Everton could get into real sticky financial trouble with the commitments they've made to a new um you know the Bramley Docks um stadium and uh, and being in debt and, and having to balance the books not just for the league's sake but just to keep running as an entity um you know even, even a club like Everton could be in trouble with the sort of sanctions that might follow um but yeah the, the City will find a way around whatever comes their way even if it means going again to Cass and getting a um you know even if they were to accept a um a punishment yes. financial punishment they'll go to Cass and say make sure we can pay this in a way that fits our, you know, Is abilities. It... And, and then, then they'll just go again. Like you say, it might, be a, it might be a sort of like Arsenal had when they sort of refinance things. It might be there's a little lean patch, but it won't last a long.
0: Is it a conspiracy theory to think that realistically it was probably the best season to hit Everton with a 10-point deduction rather than hitting them with it next season? With last season, I mean. Because if I'd hit them with it last
1: season, they would have been gone. I feel like I'm talking to Let someone else jump in on that. I mean, if you wanted to get points deducted, this is the this was probably the season to get them deducted. I think this is the season where, you know, you can get, you know, I just think the bottom three. I think Everton have been all right this season. Yeah, I just, I feel like this was probably the season, that, especially in recent ones. This is probably where you wanted the points to get deducted. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the Premier League obviously feel like they have to find them. Um, but obviously they might not want to lose a, uh, a founding member because obviously Everton—they've ever been—I re- don't think they've been relegated for about seventy odd years, have they? No, I don't think they've ever been relegated out of the top, have they? No, there you go. So you know it is. I mean,
0: Chris, again, one of our fans who comes on our shows quite a bit, he's, um, he, he's just raised a fantastic point, which um, I'll add to in a second. Bear with me once I find it. Where's it gone, Chris? Uh, oh, there it is. No, where's it gone. Let me just do it. Um I've lost it, Chris. Oh yeah, there it is. The things that annoy me is the fans are the ones who get penalized for the club's mismanagement. There's a rule in there's a rule in the AFL, which is or the FA, which is I think it's E Rule 22, failure to control your fans. Okay, which basically means that. And it could be one or two. So a group of you go into any ground and shout something, what they deem as racist or offensive or anything else. And the club would have no control over that whatsoever. Yet the fans will do it. And then all of a sudden, rather than penalising the fans, who who are the ones who've done it, say, it's it's the club that will get fined heavily, which... The rules are just so mental. In some aspects, it's it's the clubs over the fans. And in other ways, like this, penalising the club, deducting the 10 points from from the club, it doesn't really affect... It does affect the club, but it affects the fans a lot more than it does the it club. It doesn't affect the
3: owner, does it, if he swans no. off into the night?
4: No.
0: Because, again, all these people who are currently in charge of all our clubs are only custodians of our cups. If they decide to wake up tomorrow morning that actually it's not viable for them or not vi- vi- viable, viable even to, you know, have that club anymore, they will sell it and move on. As in, you know, from from day dot with all of us, we support the team we support purely because of it's in our blood, it's in our family for whatever reason. Um, and I think that's the problem you've got. It is a, There's such a... a there is no real fan representation. Um, the FSA are out there, but the FSA are obviously paid, paid for by the Premiership, the FA, the EFL, the Football Foundation. So you're not—they're not really independent to a degree. They—they they are sort of, you know, in bed with the paymasters as such. So again, it, it, it's a no-win situation. Everton's situation um, is harsh. You know, you know, to us, I think it'll be great to see everything come down because we're not their greatest fans and they're not ours, and it'll be a it will make a, a hell of a an away day. But I just think that you know, it's just the Premiership as a whole, and don't forget we've got this to look forward to next season, when we're going to be having the twelve thirty kickoffs and the five thirty kickoffs, or the you know the eight o'clock kickoffs on a Friday and everything else, because the EFL's taking the money of the TV broadcasters. And um, and come next season, we're going to feel some of that pain. What the Premiership feels—it's
3: all chasing the dollar, isn't it? I feel like the EFL missed, missed a trick by not trying to set up their own sort of stream. The American sports do it. I know it's a closed shop, their leagues, but they—you know—you can pay the, the the league to stream whatever game you want, uh, you know, and across all their to kickoff times. It's a shame that. Like none of the, the you know, the, the EFL <clears throat> seems it sort of at the beck and call of the Premier League anyway, hasn't just said, look, you know what, we're gonna market ourselves. We're gonna get in some really good, you know, strategic minds and we're gonna market ourselves as you know, as something to view and, and and own our own production rights and, and sell ourselves and take all the money and plow that into our into our clubs and into our infrastructure rather than being cap in hand to the Premier League and waiting for them to share out a bit more of their money. Because that's all, all the EFL is going to be now. That the Premier League exists is going to be, you know, it's going to be a feeder to the Premier League uh, and receive the the worst teams from it and just try and lick the crumbs off the off the floor, well, and drop I've, off the table.
0: Well, I think you've got a valid point. I think what what's going to happen is that the Premier League are going to go at some point going forward. They are going to own all their own rights and they're basically going to be doing their streaming themselves. And the likes of Sky and people like that. Need to have football because they charge people astronomical amount of fees every month to watch football, and that's where the EFL and League One are going to come in to fill that gap, um, and a few Premiership games. But the majority of it is going to be Prem. The Prem are going to take all the money off the top, and then we're just going to be the the second bit. We're going to have those, you know, three weeks before a game, where it was, you know Saturday at three o'clock. It's now been changed to to Friday at eight p.m which is going to be an absolute nightmare for you going to Sunderland, for instance.
3: Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare for us. Bad enough as it is this season.
0: No, so, yeah, well, look, we've got got 15 minutes left. Let's end this. We go with you, Argyle. We go with your top six prediction and your bottom three. And then we go you, Hull, you, Stoke, and then we finish on my Dan. So, um, go on in Argyle. Top six, finish, and, uh, and your bottom three.
3: Oh, top the start of the season I had Cov in the top six, so I don't know if that's gonna be right. Um top six. I'll go Leicester, Leeds. It's hard not to say Southampton, that's pretty predictable, isn't it? Um let's put Ipswich in there as well, fourth. Um God. there's been some really good teams, but it's who puts a run together, isn't it? Uh Borough Hull, maybe, as a surprise. They sort of like they they seem to be doing well. Yeah, yeah I reckon. Hull maybe this to to sneak sixth spot. And your bottom three? Oh, bottom three's gotta be Wednesday. Uh, see, Danny Danny Roll's doing alright. They were, they weren't too bad. They they pressed well when they came to home park, but it's just they're a bit too far adrift. So yeah, I'll stay I'll stick with Wednesday. Rotherham and can't see past QPR or Huddersfield, so let's go with let's go with Huddersfield. Sifuentes okay. looks like he's getting a tune out of Ilias Chair again, and that's not good, is it? So let's go with yeah.
2: Let's, let's oh, go sure. we-
3: we- Wednesday, Rotherham, Huddersfield.
0: Okay, no worries. Gone in and back Your top six and your bottom three.
2: Um, I think it's hard to see past Leicester finishing top in it. Um, actually, I Second's tough, you know, because Leeds Leeds are plugging away. Um, I'm yeah, it hurts me to say, it, but I will put Leeds in second. I think Plymouth, not Plymouth. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm <laughs> sorry. I can't. Um, Ipswich, um, Borough, Southampton, and I, I I'd like to see us test for the top six. I don't think we can do it. I think. Finishing wise, we're just a bit wasteful, so I think we'll miss out, but be in the top ten. So I'm I'm going to put West Brom in there as well. I think they've they've, they've been good so far this season. And then the bottom three, I just think um, the current bottom three. I, I do think Huddersfield will get pulled into it. I just feel like the bottom three at the minute. I mean, Rotherham, QPR, and um, Wednesday are just they're they're, they're not very good at the end. I just feel like QPR are on since obviously Beale left them last season. They've just been on a horrible downward slope, um, and they don't seem to have recovered. And I do think in January. Players like Chair and Willock are going to want to go, um, and then you know what they're going to do then, kind of thing. Um, Rotherham, I think, are going to give it a good go in every single game. I just think quality wise, they'll fall short. And then Wednesday, like, 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 um, like Aaron said, they're just the fact too far gone uh, to recover it. I think I, I can't see him putting a run good enough to to, to pull themselves back into it for me. Stoke.
5: Um, I think the bottom three, sort of the general consensus, will stick with that. Sheffield Wednesday, uh, I think they, they've gone. Uh, I think Rotherham, Rotherham will go down and probably Huddersfield with them. I would have said QPR if they've kept Gareth Ainsworth any longer, uh, but I think they've probably you know, got rid of him with enough time to, you know, if he can get the best out of the, uh, the quality attacking players they have got, then they should be fine. Uh, I think Leicester and Leeds will be automatically going up, and then you're probably looking at Southampton, Sunderland. will definitely be in the playoffs for me. Uh, actually I actually think Middlesbrough and then maybe even Hull could maybe make that that sixth spot. Um, yeah, so that would be my top six.
1: Okay, Dan. Um, well, rather foolishly at the start of the season, I said Leicester wouldn't even get the playoffs, so. I think I might have to hold my hands up there. Admit I've got that one wrong and they'll go up. I think Southampton will come second. Um, um, I think Leeds will be in the playoffs. I think Middlesbrough will be in the playoffs. Ipswich. And I'm going to throw a rogue one in. I put Stoke in there at the start of the season. I still think Stoke might get in there, to be honest. Um and the bottom three, I don't think many Yorkshire folk are going to like me for this. So I think it's going to be Rotherham, Sheffield, Wednesday and Huddersfield that go down. I just think QPR have got enough like, individual quality about them in uh, in that squad. And I think this new manager is going to get the best out of Chair and Willock. And I think that Sinclair Armstrong's got a few goals in him as well.
0: I think you're probably right with the bottom three. I think QPR will find something to get out of it. Um, and the top, I think, is pretty much there. But I can see... Um, with our new manager, I, I still I'm gonna be really positive and go that we're gonna go on a run um and surprise everybody
1: and, uh, and we're, we're gonna, gonna be so playoffs. good for the rest of the season, Mickey, they're gonna promote us anyway. It doesn't matter. That's it, mate. That that is it. That is it. Ryan right. 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 Longman's gonna score twenty goals
2: for you, you see.
0: Yeah, 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 probably.
1: They're all twenty if they're all from twenty five yards out, then why not? But he tries he tries how how has
2: he been actually, by the way?
1: Um pretty rubbish, to be honest. He tries about 125 yarder a game. He's managed to crack one in so far. So that's been about as good as it's got for him, though. Yeah, it sounds about right. So the way this is, hopefully these um, championship shows
0: will be running monthly and they'll be hosted by a, uh, a different channel um, each month. Obviously, they'll be uh, retweeted across all the all the different channels, um, and it's just something we're trying. They might be themed, they might not. We've got some more championship stuff planned, um, and again, it just gives a a, a whole um, insight into the championship with questions, and, and some days it would just be Q&As and, and stuff like that. This will be available as a podcast on our channel come tomorrow morning, and I am sure that most of the other guys within the chat will be Um, putting them out on their channels as well Um, so you'll be able to listen back to the full show will be available on the space as well but that is it from the first um, that championship show and um, thank you very much for having us, thanks very much to Aaron, thanks very much to Ant Um, thanks very much to Stoke Uh, thanks to Matt who's uh, been listening and thanks to all of you who have listened and got involved. And obviously, as it goes forward, um, there'll be more ways to be able to get in touch, comment, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully, you've liked it. Please leave a message. Uh, let us know what you thought. And, um, and if you've got any ideas you want us to do it, then uh, we can do. Um, yeah, and I'm really surprised that one of our listeners who normally abuses the living shit out of me, week in, week out, Chris Brown, has been um, rather pleasant on this show. That's it then. This is that championship show. And uh, for the month of November, we're done. Speak to you all again. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye.